0: Oh, I was (laughs) going to say that. (laughs) Oh, nothing. Just an old movie. Um, (laughs) Well, good morning, and uh, it's good to be back in the saddle again. And uh, just want to say happy birthday to Annabelle. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. So Thomas is coming up next Thursday, and mine's two weeks after that, or a week and a half after that. It's Thursday. birthday season. Then, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, four, five birthdays in March in my family. I have two. You have two? Yeah, both yeah. my sisters. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, My mom is born on the same day I am, or I guess the other way around. My mom was born. I was born <laughs> on my mom's birthday. She had it first. Yeah. And then my two nieces. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. We're in. Luke chapter 24. So if you want to make your way there. And, and I just wanted to say thanks before we get started here for um, all of your um, prayers for uh, my family, myself, um, down um, for my dad's uh, funeral. It was, um, even though he was 91, it was pretty unexpected. Um, and he was doing fine. You know, he had his 91, almost 92 year old problems, but you know, him and my mom were still living in their house and um with the help of my sisters, you know, they were pretty much getting along and then he went into the hospital and um well, he couldn't he couldn't move one night. They called the neighbor and so they helped him get into to bed um and then he said you better call 911. They called him. and then he was um uh, they took him into the hospital. My mom really couldn't go with them because of the COVID restrictions down there. Southern California is getting pretty hard with uh, with COVID, and um, they're still really tight on restrictions down there. And then um, they found out they had septus. Uh, they didn't know he had any infection at all. Um, and they gave him some broad, broad spectrum. Is that right, Carl? Broad spectrum antibiotics and uh, the ER doctor called my mom at 4.30 in the morning and said um, that he was responding well to them, and then she got another call at 6.30 saying they resuscitated him seven times. I'm I really surprised somebody that old would get resuscitated that many times, And uh, but they said they don't want to do it anymore. They gave him all the strong medicines and broke ribs and everything reviving him, so they put him on a heart and lung machine so that um, everybody could say goodbye to him, so By 8 o'clock, that was pretty much 8 o'clock or so, was it, in the morning? That was it, so. But it was perfect for my dad because he hated the hospital, and being in there, (laughs) he hated the hospital. I mean, he really hated it. Um, Can you turn on the lights and close that door? Um, He did, so. um, Yeah, um, yeah, it it was good, but, you know, my mom's having a tough time. We, we, We drove down there that same day and that Saturday, so we been out of the pulpit for a while. Um, and then I just, uh, when I was down there, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to stay there with my mom uh, that next whole next week. So I was down there for about 15 days, I guess. And then doing my dad's funeral was always, uh, you know, it's one of those hard things to do, um, you know, as you guys can imagine. So, But I was really thinking about it because um, one of the things I was sharing at the funeral was, you know, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world that loses his own soul? And I was speaking to the people there, um, pretty, I guess, influential people and people with a lot of resources were there, almost all of them, Um, you know. And, uh, you know, it was a good thing to to bring up and to, you know, share the gospel with. And I was uh, just thinking about this story I heard about Terry Bradshaw now. Um, you know, he, he said, um, in an interview once, you know, you know, you won four Super Bowls, um, you know, was that satisfying? or, you know, most people don't even win one. Do you win one? You win four. And he goes, you know, the problem is once you win, you got to keep winning and that's it. There's no end to it. And, you know, if you win the four, you got the next season and you got to do it all over again. And what he was saying was there's just no satisfaction and. You know, that's uh, still a message we need to... There's no satisfaction found in this world, so... Anyway, I'm not sure why I'm repeating that uh, that story, but we are in... Uh, but I appreciate your prayer. So we're in Luke chapter 24, and um, we'll probably pick it up around verse 27 to get a running start. But uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll start there. Father, we do... Thank you for this time, Lord, that we get to look into your word, and we ask that you would um, bless this time, Father, as we just come before you, and we hear from you, and look in your word, Lord, spend time together. Uh, May you just uh, uh, lead and guide us, and reveal Jesus uh, in a deeper and greater way, for it's in his name, Jesus, we ask these things, amen, amen, all right, push this Okay, we're good. Well, um, we've made it. I just want to say that too. This is message number seven D seven zero, not seven seven D. Maybe I was wishful thinking. I guess in one way, um, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and um, you know, it's just been a, a great journey. It's been long, but um, we looked at one of the Gospels in a in a, in a very in depth fashion, uh, which I think is important that we. Spend time in the life of Jesus. Um, And the great thing about the Gospel of Luke is, which I really enjoy, it goes back further in time than any other Gospel, except for maybe if you consider the first few verses of the Gospel of John in the beginning was the Word. (laughs) I guess that goes all the way back. But as far as um, life history of what was going on in Jesus' day, you know, we started out with way back before the birth of John the Baptist. Um, So we started out very, you know, very. Early before the birth of Jesus, and before even the what we call the Immaculate Conception, the the uh, you know the pregnancy of, of of Mary, you know, we go back a little further in the Gospel of Luke, which is uh, one of the reasons I enjoy the Gospel of, you know, and I think it gives us a pretty uh, complete understanding. Now, um, again. Uh, we left off last time, and it's been a number of weeks. And so, uh, you know, there was two disciples uh, out of about 120. Acts 1.15 tells us that there was about 120 gathered in that upper room where they had the Passover uh, meal. And, uh, you know, that there was about 120 people still around after the the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. Although at this point, these guys are... Uh, Nobody believes them. I mean, the women saw something, and they went back, saw the angels, and they were reminded what Jesus said, and they went back to tell the disciples, and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. Even though John and Peter, we know, ran to the grave and looked, and they were marveled, but it says they, they really didn't believe. And we know that two um, took off to this uh, town called Emmaus, and there's a map up there, and you can kind of look. Uh, it's a distance from um, Jerusalem, Um you know, and that's an approximate. There's actually a number of towns named Emmaus in that direction, but you know they're heading west, and they don't tell us why they were going there. But I, I again, as we talked about this last time, I, I believe they were really down. I, I, in my own mind, I think that they, you know, just needed to get out of Jerusalem. It was just overwhelming, and everything that had happened with the, you know, up to the crucifixion and all the beatings and the crucifixion, and then, you know his death, and, you know, they were just heading out, and it seemed like they were pretty down by what we, what we read and what we're told here, but of course, that's when Jesus shows up, right? He always does. He's faithful to do that, you know, um, when we're down, and one of the great things, uh, again, just to always, I'm reminded is, you know, particularly at times of death, at least in my, my own life, is that, you know, you look upon uh, those of us that believe and, and, you know, we still sorrow. There's just no question there's still sorrow, but then you look at people that don't believe, and they sorrow, and it's just this hopeless sorrow. Uh, you know, it's just sad. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. You think, man, how do they get through stuff um, without without the Lord, without Him being in your life and bringing that peace and comfort, and, and of course, you know, uh, uh, you know, the reassurance that we'll be with Him, and death isn't the end, but for so many, that's just the, you know, it's the final end of things, and how hopeless is that, and again, you know, these guys are pretty hopeless, and in, in a lot of ways, although, you know, they trust in Jesus, and they know his teachings, but again, they haven't really come to this this uh, great part of faith yet, and of course, that's when Jesus shows up. Um, he always does that, and he's faithful to do that, and verse 27, let's you know he catches up with these two going along the road and we'll just kind of do a little rehash from last time and at the beginning of moses and all the prophets he expounded to them all the scriptures uh, the things concerning himself then as they drew near to the village where they were going he indicated that he would have gone farther but they constrained him saying abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent now remember that as we get into the end of this uh, it's you know, it's evening time. The sun's probably going down or have gone down, but still some light left. And then uh, he went to stay with them. Verse 30 says, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked uh, talk with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, and again, um, you know, they're they're going down the road. Jesus shows up. What are y'all bummed about? And, he, and then he started to explain it to them. You know, all the prophecies that would happen, and and all what Scripture has said that this was all a foreordained, preordained uh, plan of God that He would pay the price for the world's sin, and uh, you know they as he said he was going to go on, they said, no, no, come on, hang out with us. And they made him, you know, hey, have some food with us. And they, you know, sit down to eat. And then they realize it was Jesus. And again, we don't know how their eyes were open, how they finally saw, you know. Again, you know, when you're in some pretty heavy sorrow, you don't necessarily pay attention and notice things. You're just kind of focused on what's going on with you. And maybe as you reach to get some bread or something to eat, you know, they saw the nail holes in his hands, or maybe he said something that, you know, they saw, and then he just disappears. And that would be pretty amazing, sitting at the dinner table, eating with somebody, and then all of a sudden, boop, they're gone, right? Uh, uh, you know, that would be a, an amazing thing in and of itself. But, you know, when, when all of a sudden, you know, they see that, you know, their first thing wasn't, wow, I can't believe somebody disappeared in front of my eyes. But really was, our hearts were burning from the word. What he spoke to us, is really spoke to us, and really, you know, uh, oh yeah, this is God's plan, and their joy returned to them. And they had this renewed passion, and of course the word will always do that for us. And, um, you know, uh, it will always do that to us. And it says, they rose up, verse 33, that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, And found the eleven and those who were gathered together with them, saying, "The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon." Now remember that the day was far spent, so it was you know getting dusk, uh, evening, uh, you know, I don't know five, six o'clock or something like that, and and then they just man, we can't stay here. We gotta, you know, I, I think they must have sprinted back to Jerusalem. You know, what, what a change from not believing what the gals had said that had gone to the grave and saw the angels and they, they heard about that and they said, oh, it's just too impossible to believe. And then Jesus, you know, opens the scriptures to them and explains them. But when they really see that it's him, uh, you know, uh, man, when he was speaking to us, it just really, you know, renewed our passion. And I just believe they, you know, um, they were so excited it was about a seven-mile walk one way, and they were so excited, they went back seven miles. I mean, that was something, right? They, were, they had so much excitement, they had just walked seven miles, and and, and then as soon as they Jesus left, wow, we got to get back, and they just, you know, they huffed it back another seven miles, and probably a lot faster on that return, right? I imagine, I imagine, you know, they were like this on the way over there, ah, Jesus died, and they're talking, you know, you know, and again you know luke says one of his one of the guys name was cleopas and i in my own mind i i you know i i just picture you know luke talking to cleopas and you know him explaining the story to him and uh, so he names them, and, and they're like this. But on the way back, they're like, you know, they're like, you know, hurrying, excited. They're getting back, and you know, that seven miles, no big deal. We'll walk it again, and kind of half jog it, I imagine. And they're going back because they had passion to tell the great news of Jesus's resurrection. They were excited about seeing the risen Lord. They had this passion from the word, and they were excited to get back. I I like this quote. It says, uh, What a difference it would make in our church service services if everyone who gathered came to tell about meeting the living Christ. If our services are dead, it's probably because we are not really walking and, with and listening to the living Savior. You know, it does bring a great excitement. It, it needs to well up that sort of, Passion in us, and if it doesn't, then you know it's it it doesn't play a, a, an important role. And it's a, always good to do this self evaluation, and Scripture encourages us to do that. You know, um, and uh, one of the things is, you know, if we lost our passion about we have the risen risen Savior, and He's alive, and He's here, and you know all the things he's working and doing in our life and we just have this natural desire to want to share that and to and 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 for others to come to know the faith that we have and the great things that we've seen and learned and experienced through our walk and uh, you know these guys all of a sudden had this renewed passion now you can't say they didn't have a passion because you know most of them uh, again we always kind of focus on the 12 but you know there was always a crowd with Jesus and and we know when they decided to fill Judas' role in Acts, you might remember, you know, let's let's pick somebody that's been with us from the beginning. And so there was always a number of people that had been with them the whole time, although they're just not necessarily named um, uh, to us, but they were out there. And so these guys, you know, all of a sudden get this renewed passion. And um, he, they, they're heading back. And uh, again, something we need to always think about in our own lives you know do I still have that same passion and as we grow older in the Lord and years go by you know you do we 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 can go through these ups and downs and of course we can our whole Christian walk but it's always great to um, you know put in check do I have the same passion that I once did and uh, we always want to have that and if we need some course course correction it's it's always good And, and the Lord's faithful to do that in many ways so they're there and they rose up, you know, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and all those that gathered with them. And again, I, I think it's about the 120 that were there that we find in Luke will tell us in Acts chapter 1. And they're like, the Lord is risen indeed. And, and then we hear something interesting, and has appeared to Simon. No, so so a bit of information when Jesus was walking along the road, or after they recognized him in some way somehow they knew obviously Jesus had to tell them that that uh you know that he also showed up to to Peter or Simon and um again remember Jesus kind of renamed him his name his given name was Simon but Jesus called him Peter he he gave a lot of the disciples nicknames um and we would say today and and so you know Simon Peter he showed up you know privately to him as it says there and um we remember why, I think, is because he needs something straightened out, right? Remember, he said, uh, well, if you've just been following through us on our um, trek through the the Bible app, and we were doing reading through the New Testament, and, um, you know, we just read it yesterday, right? It was just yesterday's reading about how, um, you know, that that he, you know, Peter said, hey, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, they're going to kill me, and... You know, uh, three days later All right, Peter says, no, uh, I, you know, I'll never deny, you know, you oh, I'm sorry, strike the shepherd and the, he quoted the Old Testament, and the sheep will flee. Why can't I quote that correctly? Strike the shepherd and the flock will be scattered. And the flock will be scattered. Thank you. And um, and so, again, Peter's like, no way. And, and he said, yes, yeah, matter of fact, the night's not going to even end and you're going to deny me three times. And so, you know, we know he went away weeping and he was, you know, very heartbroken in his denial after his, you know, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to die with you. And so again, he needed to get some things straightened out. And uh, I think that's important to see, even though Luke doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it and other, other gospels give us a little bit more information, but, You know, Jesus shows up to Peter privately. Now, he wanted to do great things with Peter, and certainly in the early church, Peter was used in in a great way. And Jesus wanted to make sure, you know, even though he had failed, he wanted to restore him and to encourage him. And so there was a personal and private transaction between Peter and his Lord, as J. Vernon McGee said, you know, he had to do that. He, 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 He wanted to restore him. And i think that's important for us to see because jesus knew of his failure but he didn't leave him there he wanted to restore him and it always reminds me that we never disappoint the lord now we are disappointed with ourselves continually and as we should be. I think that's right. You know, when we fail or don't do something we should do or do something we shouldn't do, and, and, you know, the Holy Spirit's kind of convicting us, man, you shouldn't be doing that. That's just not what I want from you, or you should have done that and you didn't do it, or, you know, whatever the case might be, and and then we, you know, we kind of get disappointed because we failed, or we let the Lord down, or, you know, I thought I, you know, could do it, and I can't do it. I'm struggling with doing it or not doing it, whatever it might be. And, you know, and then we think, oh man, you know, the oh, Lord's just so disappointed. But, you know, that's kind of the religious way of thinking. Um, you, you know, you failed in in some way, and so you expect the person that you failed to feel the same way. And a lot of times, you know, people get that mixed up with our Heavenly Father. They think of Him as how we act with each other, and He's not like that. He already knows everything, and as I said, I don't know, a thousand times, He knew what He got when He got us. He knew all the failures, and all the mistakes, and all the stubbornness, and all the whatever it is, and yet He wanted us anyway. And the bottom line is the Lord is always interested in restoration. That's what he's doing, that's what he came here for, was to restore that broken relationship between a sinful man and a holy God. That's the whole deal. And so he's always interested in restoration, whether it's bringing the lost sheep you know, into the fold, or encouraging the, the, those that have failed, or the downtrodden, or whatever it might be, right? Whether it's downtrodden on the road, or a big failure like Peter, or this or that, or whatever. He's interested in restoration. Now, don't get me wrong. One day there will be a day of judgment for sure. One day that that interest, if you would, or that time of restoration will will end. There just there's an end to it, and, and it will come one day. And and then when you know when the hand is rejected that's extended to them, um, you know people make fun of that picture of uh, you know. Michelangelo's um what's it called where God's hands reached out to to man I can't think of the name title of it off the top of my head but you you know it's got a lot of issues with it but you know the 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 thinking behind it is true it's like he's reaching out you know it would be better bridged you know if you put Jesus in there and then man probably more accurately biblically but but I, but the, the I like that because this hand is is extended to lost and to his own and you know he's always interested in restoration one day that that'll be pulled back when this Christ rejecting world says that's it and you know uh, but not now and so just remember that when we fail um, he's always interested in our restoration and from us learning from that and then moving on and growing in those things he knows what he got when he got us And uh, that just brings us, you know, hope and encouragement and uh, that we just want to get back on the saddle again, so to speak. Well, so they're excited. They're in the room. Back to our story here in verse 35. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So they go on and say, hey, we saw him, he explained all these things to us, and they're going on, he saw Peter, and I imagine that Peter, you know, um, was speaking as well. And he saw Peter. Peter, he saw you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and maybe it, it just seems that, you know, maybe Peter didn't even bother to mention that at this point, you know. Uh, uh, and maybe it just happened and he's processing it all. It doesn't really tell us, but, you know, then the light's on Peter. Like, and, he saw, and you saw him. And then they're all, you know, I can imagine they're sitting in the room and they're all turning to Peter like, you saw him? (laughs) And then Peter, I imagine at this point, is sharing, you know, what the Lord said to him or at least uh, some of that or, yeah, or he nods his head, yeah, he showed up to me as well. And, um, you know, and and, uh, then these guys go on and talking about how, you know, he spoke to them and then all of a sudden they knew who he was when they were breaking of bread. Now, this is not speaking of communion here. So remember, uh, uh, you know, we see breaking of bread, we think of communion. But they just sat down to eat. And, but, that, and that, but that's when they knew. And uh, that's when they knew it was him. Now again, communion was usually part of a meal anyway back in those days. But it isn't speaking specifically of communion, just so we, we have that uh, clear. They were just going to eat dinner. But that's when they noticed and knew it was Jesus. And I think one of the great lessons here is we must learn to see Jesus in the everyday things of life. You know, they were just sitting down to eat. It wasn't anything uh, spiritual, if I put it in quotes like that. They weren't like having a Bible study necessarily, although he had just spoken to them, you know, obviously the scriptures. But they weren't, you know, specifically... You know, sitting down to pray or or anything other than just they were hungry. It was dinner time, right? We would say, and they were they were hungry, and that's when they saw him. And I, again, I think a good application for this is we just must we we learn to see him in everyday things of life, and and that's how we build our relationship with him. You know, whether we're driving, uh, whether we're standing in line at you know Food Max. Well, everybody stands in line at Food Max, right? <laughs> or grocery outlet, right? Uh, that's why Annabelle avoids them like the plague. She goes to Knob Hill, cause you know, I call it Line Max uh, over there, right? Well, you're 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 just there cause you're getting a, a chicken or whatever, some oranges or something, and and uh, you know you're thinking of him every you know all the time, and he's on your mind, and and we see him, you know. And just walking into the produce section, and we go, man, what an abundance we have here, or something, or how magnificent was you know our our heavenly Father's creative, uh, you know, when you see these shapes and sizes and tastes, and you know it looks good and it, it and it and it tastes good and it's you know it, all, all these things. You know, we could just learn to see Him and think everyday things of life. I think it's so important because it just develops our relationship and our and, and awe of him and, uh, and uh, uh, the love and the passion that we have for him. And I, I think that's important for us to see. So our story is these guys are you know, they're there, they're talking, and maybe Peter's sharing a little bit, or maybe, you know, they're all listening to him, they're all excited, you know, the room's kind of with the buzz a little bit, if you would, because now it's just not the ladies that saw him, now these guys that saw him, and Peter have seen him, and then verse 36 says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. <laughs> now this picture just kind of ama- this passage kind of amazes me because I picture you know these two guys talking and then Peter's maybe sharing and then you know they're talking and in the middle of their stories. All of a sudden, bada boom, Jesus is there. He just appears, and I imagine you know he shows up. Everybody turns and looks at Jesus, and the first things he says is peace. To you. And again, how 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 powerful that statement is, isn't it? You know, Jesus had just risen from the dead. I mean, peace. And he, he he is, you know, used that word or that phrase, but you know, true peace between God and man is taking place because of what he did. And now that he's resurrected, just putting uh, the Father's seal of approval on it. Yes, this is my plan. This is my way. This is my will. Even as some of us that have been reading through that New Testament in a, in a year, you know, where Jesus prayed in the garden, you know, Father, if it's, if there's any other way, you know, let's do it. I, I, you know, take this from me, uh, but it, not my will, your will be done. There wasn't another way. That was God's plan. And even though he prayed that a few times, uh, you know, no, this is his plan. And now there's true peace between God and man. And, you know, he announces that peace and how amazing all that is. But their reaction was one of being totally freaked out, right? We'd say today, right? I mean, they were terrified and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit, you know, like, wait a minute, how could he be here? And, you know, they're processing this. How could he just show up in an instant, you know, people don't do that. So, you know, their assumption is this is some kind of a supernatural uh, appearing, and and though it is in a sense, but Jesus is going to make it so much more than that. So they see him, he says, peace, and they're terrified. They're terrified. I don't know if you've ever been terrified before, but, you know, put yourself in the most frightening situation, and that's what they're feeling at the moment. And they're not sure what they're seeing here, but Jesus is going to make it very clear what they're seeing here in verse 38 and, well, in the following verses. And it says this, um, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus wanted to assure that his resurrection body was real and physical body, though it is different from our own bodies. He wasn't some ghost or phantom like, I don't know, maybe watch too many TV shows or movies, you know, where you, you hit something, you know, something appears in the room, some kind of spirit and you hit it and, you know, your hand goes through the the image of whatever, you know, uh, that kind of a thing. It wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like that. He was tangible. It was a physical body. And that's different than ours, certainly because he just appeared. He didn't use any doors. Uh, he didn't climb through the window. He didn't knock on the door and say, hey, guys, let me in. He, he can, he can. Move in and out of places, but yet there's a physical type of body where they can actually touch him and hold him. And, you know, uh, he he just kind of says, listen, calm down. I'm I'm not some kind of spirit, if you would. You know, and he tells him to examine me, touch me, feel it, look. And I I, I like this verse in, in a number of reasons, but... One of the things I, I think it's just that that can really minister to our hearts is this is because, you know, we know that we're going to have a body like his body. First Corinthians tells us that, right? And we'll get to that coming up as we head into Corinthians next next time we meet on uh, next Sunday. But um, again, we, we they were able to physically touch him. And I think one of the great things is those loved ones that have gone on, um, before us into heaven, you know, when we get there, I, I believe we'll be able to have a physical embrace. You know, it's not like we're all going to be on some cloud or some, I don't know how pe- people picture it and all kinds of crazy things that have been <laughs> taught to us in movies and TV and maybe even, you know, pictures we've seen that people with good intentions have drawn or illustrated in some way. But, you know, the great thing is there's going to be a physical Tangible presence in heaven, and you'll be able to embrace them. I think that's great for us to remember and to be encouraged by. You, you know, we, we're not going to be just like, oh, hi, I haven't seen you for a while. And then you, 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 you know, it's going to be maybe a long time on our side. I believe in their perspective of eternities. So they're outside of time. Those that have gone on before us into heaven, you, you know, it's going to be a blink of an eye. Oh, it's just there, and now you're here, and we're all together again. Our, on our end, it's different. We're, we're moving through time. Their their, their existence, their, their uh, eternity, you know, is outside of time, but, you know, we'll be able to run up and, and just give them a big hug, and, and many other things, I imagine, but there's a physicality in some way that you can touch and hold uh, in some sort of sense of, wow, we touch physically now. And uh, I think that's a great thing to remember. It gives us a little pulling back of the curtain of maybe what our eternal bodies will have, but we'll have that. And so he's showing that to them. You know, I want you to know this. I want you to be at peace i want you to be excited that things aren't ending they're just really beginning and their reaction in verse 41 while they're still but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled or you know for, for verse 41 i, I kind of like it how the new living translated. it says they stood still there in disbelief filled with joy and wonder and, and he said to them have you any food here so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it in their presence so Jesus kind of continues on with this resurrected body this resurrection body and after seeing him and hearing him they still weren't sure although they had some joy and amazement that he was there so there's they're still not really sure exactly what's going on here but you notice they've moved on from fear and being terrified and completely unbelieving to having some joy right and 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 some wonder about this some amazement if you would um maybe i can put it this way it seemed uh maybe how we'd say today it's too good to be true i think that's how i'd word it right they they, they saw it and they you know you ever think about oh that's just too good to be true uh, and I think all of us have felt that way over certain things. There's just no way that's working out. You know, somebody pinched me. I, that can't, this can't be happening because uh, this has got to be a dream because I, I don't think it would work out this way or this could happen or this could really take place. And, you know, we've all had that sense of this is too good to be true. And that's the way I, I picture them. No way. This is just, you know, they're happy, but, but no way. You know, do I need to knock on wood or something? You know, superstitious people do that, right? Uh, you know, kind of a thing. But he's giving them more confidence, and I think it was for the disciples' sake that he that he ate to show that he was really there. This was a continuation. Listen, I'm I am here, and I I can eat. I, I'm physically here with you. And again, I, I I you know when we get into 1 Corinthians, we'll talk a little bit more about this. But with our limited knowledge, we can't explain how a human body. Can be solid flesh and bones and still pass through closed doors appear and then disappear right but you know that's what the resurrected body can do it and so we get a little bit again of pulling back the curtain and seeing what a our resurrected body is going to be and how it can be glorified and yet it can still carry the marks of the cross on him because he says see it's me those nail marks or where they bound me you know that you know you can see them they're still here and um you know there's a reason for that but i you know there's a whole teaching on this and so i won't try to to go into that i'll just leave you some food for thought but you know just he's going to carry those marks throughout eternity and I think, you know, that's why when we see him, you know, when we look forward in time and God gives us a revelation or a revealing of Jesus, you know, whenever they see him, they're just, everybody is just overwhelmed with amazement and love and falling down and worshiping him because, you know, we look at those things and we think, you know, we know fully in, in heaven what he's really done for us. And it will just blow our minds, the love that he has for us. And he'll carry those marks. And we do know one day we should be like him and share in his glory. Of course, 1 John chapter 3 tells us that as well. So, you know, at some way we'll have the same kind of body. And again, uh, I think 1 Corinthians 15 talks about it uh, in, in greater detail. And we'll look at those things when we get there. So now he's, they're touching him. They're hearing him. They're feeling him. He's eating with them. And then he tells them, verse 44 Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And what a Bible study that must have been! You know, something What Jesus is doing kind of the same thing he did with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. He's starting out in the scriptures again, and now he's not only just giving those two guys encouragement, but everybody else that's gathered in that upper room there, you know, uh, he's doing the same thing. And he's going through scriptures that they might receive that amazement and that joy and that excitement that comes again from knowing of the resurrected Jesus and the studying and understanding of scriptures. And I I think it's always important when we get to these junctures to look at this. You know, it's a spiritual opening of their eyes. It's not an intellectual um, look into scripture. Okay, I'm feeding my intellect, right? Um, It's a spiritual opening of our eyes. You, You could read the Bible, but it won't make sense unless a person has eyes to see if you would and ears to hear as jesus put it right there, there's a spiritual opening of the eyes that we might see and understand what it is because if not then it just you know it's, it comes of books of un, uh, facts or of good sayings or great ideas or you know you know this or that or whatever people want to call that there's this you know spiritual opening and and not not intellect now it does connect with our intellect too don't misunderstand me there's certainly a, a crossing of the two because it does reach into our intellect, but it's not an intellectual e- exercise. I know plenty of college professors that, you know, know, you know, ancient Hebrew and uh, and Greek and, uh, you know, of the Septuagint and the later renditions and renditions of, of Greek that they wrote it in and latin and and some of the other translations from the original scrolls and manuscripts uh, but they just know them intellectually and they just kind of recite them and they don't mean much to them and that's why i think it's always important that we pray that our eyes be open that we might see jesus when we're reading the scriptures it's just a great thing and that's what we do lord let me see what you want me to see hear what you want me to hear You can read the Bible, but it won't make sense unless a person's eyes are truly open. And then he finishes the Bible study with this statement. So he goes on and explains the Bible study. He's saying all this. Their eyes are open and they're being amazed. I imagine just like the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And then he said to them in verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So, as he finishes the Bible study, here's the commission. Preach to everyone repentance and hope. You know, a a person needs to know that. Again, in a lot of people's eyes, uh, Christianity is some sort of reformation, you know, help you to clean up your life and, or or people think they need to clean up their life in some way before they can come into church or come to Jesus in some way, right? I, I need to stop smoking and drinking and this or that or cussing or whatever it might be, right? Or, or they think, you know, if I, if I go to church, it'll help me with, you know, this thing and that thing or something and help, you know, reform me. It's not reformation, it's transformation. A person can't just be a good person. They can't just be sorry for what they have done. It's a complete change of heart, mind, and attitude. And you are witnesses to that too. We have to remember that. We are witnesses of the same thing of Jesus doing that in our life. It wasn't that He just kind of cleaned up our lives or gave us, you know, some meaning or purpose in this area or some, you know, understanding of things uh, after death or this or that. These, you know, little things. Although certainly all those things and more are included in that, but it's 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 got to be more than that. There there has to be repentance, which isn't well. I'm a good person. Yeah, I got some. Rough things around the edges, but I'm basically a good person. No, there has to be repentance. You're going this way, as much as you thought you were a good person, you're heading in this way, and no, you repented, which means you turned 180 and you're heading in a different direction because of what Jesus has done. Uh, And and what he means to you is repentance. And it's not just, well, I'm sorry for the mistakes I made and, you know, this and that, and, you know, I, I just, I'm sorry. No, it's turning to him and it's going to Him. And again, the hope we have. It's a change of heart, mind, and attitude, and then we have this great hope, and we are witnesses to the same thing, those of us who believe. Not just them, but to us as well. As a matter of fact, Peter will talk about that in his writings. You know, We saw Jesus, but you have a more sure hope, a more sure foundation. You have the Word of God. And people say, well, if I was just there, I probably would believe more. It'd be easier for me to believe. And, you know, the scripture tells us, and the guy, Peter, who was there said, you know what? Yeah, I was there, but he's talking to the church, you know, and, and, and his time long after Jesus had left and, and, and gone home to be with the Father. He says, but this is what you have. You, you have this. We you know we didn't get that till after Jesus you know ascended and then things start oh okay make it, right so and you're building off that and so are we today and, and you know that's his that's his call for us to you know preach repentance and hope you no know, the the Father wants more than you just to show up to church on Sunday once in a while. And maybe, you know, you throw a couple bucks in the offering plate as it goes by or, you know, this or that or whatever, or, you know, be good and try not to custer in the week and only drink on Fridays and Saturdays or whatever, or Super Bowl Sunday, you know, whatever, or do this or, you know, be kind of a nice guy at work and whatever it might be, a person at school or this or that. No, it's, it's a total change of heart, mind and attitude. That, that's what he wants. He wants to transform our lives, not to reform them. And then Jesus gives them that commission, and then he says in verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you, have, uh, till you are endured with power from on high. And then he says in verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them, and carried up into heaven now we know he was around from the other gospels for about 40 days and and luke just kind of distills it down to you know his final conversations with them, or some of the conversations with him and then this final conversation uh with them and, and verse